Testing, testing, one, two, three. This is Sam coming at you live from the post recording editing session. Uh, just a little bit of uh, housekeeping at the top of the hour, or should I say two hours? Because this is a long haul. Uh, the, I have made a Twitter for the podcast. It is at our hyper on twitter check us out for updates on the upload schedule and also live updates on the delayed upload schedule because we both have adhd and it's pretty hard to coordinate some days plus some content requires a little bit of uh listening like this episode for instance where cassie listened to the entire adventure zone balance arc uh, just a little heads up for this episode, there are two different parts. Um, the first part, which is about, I think, 20 minutes or so, uh, we talk about uh, the balance arc with few spoilers, and then after that we really go into it. Um, the total runtime is about 2 hours and probably 17 minutes after I put this little bit in. Uh, so just a heads up, this is a long one. Uh, hope you guys enjoy. Now, into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Hyper Variety. I have already messed up the intro. I have already <laughs> messed up the name of our podcast. Hi, welcome to the Hyperfixation Variety Hour. I'm your host, Sam, pronouns he, they. And I'm Cassie. My pronies are she, her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm Lynn. I also use she, her. Hi. <laughs> oh god i think we tapped into some horrible universe where pronies are like bronies but for pronouns oh no <laughs> oh, no. oh uh, you know how like some podcasts get a not big enough fandom to have fans i'm gonna call our fans the pronies <laughs> please don't <laughs> We're talking about the adventure zone this week. Yeah, I swear we have yeah. stuff to talk about. Yeah, we have links to say this week. Yeah, so basically what we did is that uh, I have listened to the adventure zone, I think, five times now. I've, like, power listened to most Golly. of it, like, 80% in a week. We're specifically talking about the balance campaign, by the way. I wanted to mention yeah. the balance. Also, this is Lynn. Say hi to Lynn. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lynn. I love she's the Adventure Zone Balance campaign very much. Yeah, she's my very good friend, Lynn. <laughs> and I'm her very good friend, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> she's the world's greatest Lynn. There's some it real sounds sleep. Like... <laughs> There's some real sleepover like... energy. Some what? Some okay, real sleepover like... energy in this call. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. But that sounded like one of those things where you had to say a specific phrase as many times as possible, and that <laughs> phrase just happened to be Lynn. <laughs> um, I've I've listened to the Adventures on Balance campaign um four or five times, depending on how you count, because like uh I've listened to it four full times and then like half literally i i picked up from halfway through and then just started listening alongside cassie so that was basically a fifth time <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is pretty wild um 
<clears throat> I've only listened to it one time. I just finished my first listen like yesterday. Time is weird and I don't know what it is or how it works, but I think it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're you're talking to us about the TTAZZ yesterday. Yeah. So that means you must have finished it around then. That tracks. So how did you get into the adventure zone uh lynn why don't you start us off um sure i i think the very first time i got into it i it was before i even knew who the McElroys were at all it was literally just i was really into D and i was literally just cycling through D podcasts and i i used reddit at the time that's how long ago it was <laughs> and i is reddit uh, an old thing no it's more so like that's a personal timeline more than anything that like there was a oh. reddit era lynn that's a lynn i don't like to talk about um <laughs> oh, no. and uh but the dark I, w- ages. I was really into D and getting into ttrpgs in general and i wanted a D podcast to listen to and i saw a lot of people being like the adventure zone just ended and it's like the fucking great are we allowed to swear yeah Uh, i'll just mark it explicit it'll be fine all right cool because i can't help swearing um yeah i love the fuck word hell yeah whoa Um, whoa 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 watch your fucking language there (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i discovered it through like the DD subreddit because i think i think the balance this is a very foggy memory it was a very foggy time in my life but like that very first time i listened to it i got to like the very beginning of the second arc when they fight the leeches and i dropped it and then a few months later i picked it up and i listened to it all in like a month and i fell in love I wonder why you dropped it then. Yeah, I wonder why I dropped it during the, the, the two-episode leech fight. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, Wait. it's very, like, goof-goof. Two episodes? What? Are you exaggerating? I don't remember it, being that long. It was, it, it, was was the long. Last, it was the last half of one episode and the first half of a second episode. Uh, oh. It's a very long fight. Everyone <laughs> hates the leech fight and around these parts. We we'll get to this later. We have a whole theory about leech fights in the adventure zone. Yeah, we have like oh, a, a categorization of <laughs> leech fights. But yeah, my I was first... not aware of this, but I'm sure I will be made aware during this episode. <laughs> but yeah my first like that was probably i guess back in like 2017 2018 and then like i lit it was when i was in college is when i listened to it the first time and it uh it was a very meaningful story for me and so much so that i've listened to it three or four more times since then and it's the balance campaign is my favorite story of all time it is my favorite piece of media of all time Mm -hmm. what about uh well there's an obvious answer for how Cassie got started. So let's hear about when Sam first listened to <laughs> first listened to uh, the campaign. My story is a little bit similar. Basically, I got really into D&D. Um, as I've discussed in a previous episode, uh, my buddy Sasha, who said we can mention him by name, got me into D&D. And he also got me into the Adventure Zone because uh, I was like, hey, what are some good podcasts? And he was like, yeah, listen to the adventure zone. It's about D&D. And so I was like, I'm not going to take your advice. And then I didn't listen to it for like six months. And then I finally actually got around to listening to it while I was in like 
college I don't remember which year or semester it was but it was like probably second semester and so a lot of my memories are tied to specific places on the campus when I get to significant parts I'll be like oh yeah I was sitting in this part of the stairwell or like oh I was walking through the woods I totally get that like I I have exactly two cents like two sense memories I can remember of like my very first time when I dropped it immediately I remember like our property has a fence around it and my dad was like hey take take these screws and this like power drill and go like re-screw up all the broken fence posts and stuff and I like what I distinctly remember doing that while I was hearing them joke about Taco's name for the first time and the (laughs) the other memory the, the other memory I have was like I distinctly remember um Oh gosh, I I know we wanted to start by not spoiling stuff immediately, but <laughs> because we wanted to, if there were people that didn't listen just say to there's it. a spoiler alert and to skip ahead a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. I guess like um, hey, before I do that, if you haven't listened to the Adventures Unbalanced campaign and you're listening to this episode right now, it's amazing. It's my favorite piece of 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 media of all time, and it uh changed my life and made me trans. That's not true, but I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a high recommendation especially consider we're doing a episode about it um it will be a different start from where you end because you'll find a lot of stuff talking about how like poetic and dramatic and how impactful it is and then you'll boot it up and you'll be like oh they're joking about tacos and boners uh trust me it, it gets more it gets more impactful if very you just much need does. to keep listening so that being said, super quick, um, the spoiler thing, I distinctly remember walking out of like the student lounge and there was like a little window, uh, there was a little window looking over a sidewalk right out of it. And I was walking down that sidewalk and I had just finished talking with some guy named John that was a total asshole. And then I heard that the BBG was named John. And I was like, huh. <laughs> 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 that great. tracks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Jax. So Cassie, <laughs> how did you get into the Adventures Unbalanced campaign? I've been dying to hear this story. Yeah, Wynn doesn't <laughs> Wynn doesn't know actually at all. I've never told her this story. Um, so basically how I got into it was Wynn got me into it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, well, actually, I had heard of it for, like, I had heard of it, like, a couple times, like, there were some people uh, who I knew, kind of, who did, like, cosplay, um, and I was like, oh, they're cosplaying something called the Adventure Zone, I don't know what that is, but nice cosplays, and I actually saw, um, uh, like, spoilers for a character name, um, I saw well, actually, we'll get into that later because that's really yeah, funny. Yeah, no, that's a very <laughs> funny story I need to share. <laughs> it's a, yeah, there's so many yeah, stories like... where I, like, said something to Lynn while, while we were watching it together or, like, made a theory or a prediction, and it was, like, comically wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, oh, like... I got into it because I wanted a podcast to listen to because I was trying to get out more and just like take walks. Um, And so like, of course, the first thing I went to was the podcast that Lynn was always talking about. Um, And I kind of knew that like, I wasn't going to like it at first because everyone (laughs) says that you're not going to like it at first. 
as well as like I've played a lot of D&D so I know that that's just kind of a reality of D&D like it can take time to get into things and like get into the yeah. swing mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but like so then like I was like yeah okay arc one is good and then I got to moonlighting um where you know they like reveal the cool shit with the void fish and the like uh, the like memory the fuzzing stuff and I was like holy shit okay that's like really interesting um and then like by the end of arc two I was like oh shit this is really good like they did the train stunt and I think the train stunt is like what cemented it as like a really good show to me like um oh yeah moonlighting showed what it could be narratively but like train stunt just showed that it could be like really cool just in the moment like cool shit could just happen (laughs) um yeah and then like and then like next arc was even better because there's like the whole race with like so much creative shit going on and like baller imagery and like every single car is different and then it weeds right into a cool boss fight and i was like holy shit this show is really good then i got to arc four (laughs) (laughs) that drift off geez what did arc four do to you (laughs) it's 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 actually like good toward the end but just like boy is it is it slow and repetitive for a while? <laughs> and it has a leech <laughs> Hold on, bite. what is arc four? Let me, um, that's the crystal, crystal, crystal kingdom. I probably should oh. name them by number. I should like name them by name because names yeah. are more First useful. First arc is them. called Here There Be Gerblins. Two is Murder on Rockport Limited. Three is Petals to the Meadow. Four is Crystal Kingdom. Five is the 11th hour. Six is the Suffering Game. Seven is the stolen century and then eighth is the finale which is three episodes called story and song right and then every Um, in between all of those were things called lunar interludes where they basically like just like got to do their own stuff or goofed around or explained a like mechanic that was added to a character like spoiler alert for character magnus um, he takes a rogue level and so one of the lunar interludes he just like goose around with one of the rogues and like gets trained gosh yeah um and like so uh, yeah up until crystal kingdom like the show just kept getting better for me and i was like damn this is great um and then arc five i know everyone really likes 11th hour um i thought it was fun it wasn't like my favorite arc though. It was really good, but it wasn't like my favorite arc necessarily. And then and then Suffering Game was like really good again. So I, I realized oh, yes, I'm I... just going beat for beat, like this is this is what I thought of every arc. But like <laughs> it was just this experience where I was like sharing it with my close friend Lynn and we were just talking about it every day. And like I was giving her predictions and like Yeah, no, it, it was, was con- it like, was constantly like I'd be like, Hey, you have a lot to look forward to on tomorrow's episode and she'd be like, Oh boy, like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Actually that's um, a good thing to do. Uh like after Cassie, uh, Lynn, I'd be interested to hear your beat for beat for on the like what you thought of each arc. 
Yeah, that's fair. It's that's a weird one because like I have uh five listenings of experience and I can't recall my first my first time listening. Also, should we like super quick, should we do like a spoiler capstone of like talking about it without spoilers and then just go completely into spoiler time? Well, oh, this is our technically non-spoiler section. I'm gonna give us uh, another four minutes. So uh, my local recording time will read 9.15 and then we can get right into the spoilers as much as we want. Alrighty. I'm saying that since uh, three of the graphic novels has come out for the first three arcs, those are probably the safest to talk about. Yeah, that's like fair. Minimal spoilers and then we can go like just in. Yeah. I am... Um, because like, yeah, my experiences with each arc, like I... I remember enjoying Here There Be Goblins, and especially in my first time, I distinctly remember the scene with the Clark where it's like, you threw my wolf in the fire. <laughs> like, I remember hearing that scene and being like, oh, this is good. <laughs> and mm, some fun. quality podcasting. <laughs> and like I said, on my very first time listening, like I got to the leech fight at the beginning of Rockport Limited and I, I gave up. And then my first actual full listen, like... I forget what I thought about Rockport Limited. I think I had a lot of fun by the end with all the wacky train stunts and pedals to the metal. I fucking loved. It was so like that arc fucking inspires me to make cool action scenes as a DM. It's like, like the best arc. It is so fucking good at just like it, it. It's kind of the absolute proof to me that you can actually do exciting encounters in D and D. <laughs> yeah because it's like literally just the last like i don't know five episodes that's probably not correct but who cares like the last like five episodes just the whole entire race is just non-stop action that is just like despite being the D combat system um is so exciting and it's, it just keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time and i remember like like i remember hearing that and honestly there's a bit in one of the episodes where clint is like hey griffin can i just say you're doing a fucking amazing job with this like storytelling and i'm like yeah he is (laughs) 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 but yeah i remember like i i remember on most on most my listens like i actually on my last listen i had i got a newfound appreciation for rockport limited because i think that's where they start to actually like I mean, the first arc is literally they're just playing a box set of D and D, and it's like, right? It's just that it, it's it's JoJo Part One, but for for, for the Adventure Zone, like, like like they go through the motions, but like the motions them they're not like interested in the motions themselves. They're just yeah, like, it's oh, just kind of there. It's it's just ah. generic D and D, and then like moonlighting happens, and you get the thing with the void fish, and like Cassie said, it's like you get a taste of like oh, this could go places. And, well, here's the thing. And, <laughs> yeah? I think that, I mean, like, just a little background for those who don't know and are listening in the spoiler-free section, um, the Adventures on Balance actually started on another podcast. I think that the uh, yeah. McElroys were in a period where, um, like, I think all three of them had pregnant wives, and so they couldn't really do much else and they were like filling space and so they were like oh let's do a like preset campaign and then so they did that and everyone was like this is phenomenal like so hard that they made another podcast and then like put the first episode up 
and continued playing. And so um, I think really right around the time when the true plot started getting introduced was actually moonlighting, which is like when Griffin fully was mm-hmm. like injecting his stuff in there. Not that like the, I think really the episode where they go into, I think it was wave echo cave and they see the red robe. Yeah. Um, yeah. As soon as, as soon as like Killian shows up on screen and like, as soon as it's kind of funny because it's it literally is like these three adventures on a standard D campaign and then griffin's story like literally just intersects with them and it's like yeah. i kind of love that format of like it is literally like you just run into the actual plot and then they just keep going with it right oh, yeah we're in the spoiler section right now um if you haven't listened and you don't want spoilers please exit now yeah if you have listened or you don't mind spoilers continue listening yeah one one, one last spoiler free thing this show is so fucking amazing it goes to places you wouldn't ever expect it to go and it has made me cry more times than i can count and <laughs> i mean like three probably no more. no joking this podcast has helped me through a breakup honestly like Mm -hmm. a really rough breakup I've mentioned before actually one of the quotes from it helped me through which is uh, when somebody leaves your life those exits are not made equal some are beautiful and poetic and satisfying others are abrupt and unfair but most are just unremarkable unintentional clumsy god like really that fucking, fucking like helped god it that is such a fucking personal quote from griffin like it's so so good and that's a that's a big part of what i think adventure zone is to me is like it is kind of a like by the end of the series because now we're in the spoiler territory they talk a lot about the concept of bonds between people and yeah like that bonds are this powerful force of literal friendship and relationships and mutual aid and like I think the adventure zone is on a meta level is like you forming a bond with the characters and the players and like getting to understand like there's just such heart to the series there's such a heart to all the decisions it's like a specific point I want to talk about going off of that because like definitely it was like very goofy and then they're having fun and then it gets more and more serious as they have become more and more connected to the characters but like one thing that I think really was connecting them to it was like um like obviously big ass spoiler because we're in the spoiler section but whenever Merle figured out how to do the parlay and he was parlaying Mm -hmm. with John aka the hunger when he was talking to John, like you could tell that he was really getting into the discussion and he mentioned yeah. like in a very somber voice that the way that he regarded like living life, like as just like, I don't exactly remember the thing directly because it, I skipped. I, I, think, I, I think the whole idea is like that the life philosophy there is like to choose joy, that joy. Is yes, not choose you- joy. Yeah, it's not saying that you experience. Was, it's not saying you experience as much as saying you choose. Yeah, which is something that uh, Merle commented, or more specifically, Clint commented that uh, his late wife uh, truly embodied in her life. And honestly, like I, as I've done some more living, I honestly agree that a lot of the stuff we do in life are choices. Like uh, 
love is definitely a choice because there's obviously the feeling but every day you wake up and you gotta choose to put effort into you gotta choose that person you gotta choose those people you gotta choose whatever Mm -hmm. and it is a conscious decision that you make after it's been going on for a while and as somebody who's been dating uh somebody for five years it's definitely a choice because some days I catch myself like lagging or sometimes I'll be like oh I haven't like really done too much and so I'll surprise my partner like hey let's go on a date or hey let's do this little thing and it's those little choices that like really keep you together and they keep you going and they like really keep you going that's real sweet that is hard to go off on a little tangent there but i mean that's the whole that's this entire podcast my friend oh yeah yeah <laughs> adhd baby vibe <laughs> but yeah no honestly and like i think on re-listens of this podcast after you've heard because it's in the final ttazz that clint discusses that like the 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 adventure zone zone the the adventure zone zone. the q a episode (laughs) um taz taz Um, it's on that episode that he discusses that like not only is the choose joy speech 100 like uh his late wife and the mcelroy's like the brother's like late mother like not only is the choose joy speech in in an embodiment of her philosophy that like i think the quote he says is that like her fingerprints are all over this show and i think yeah i think on any further re-listens with that lens in mind i think that's like part of why this show resonates with me on such a deep emotional level because like it doesn't feel like it's just a story that they're writing to make a good story it feels like it is a story that they're writing to understand like they're like to understand that loss and to understand like you know the that person their late mother you know Mm -hmm. yeah i know i think that it was travis but he also had like other stakes in the story like um he had the unfortunately fell into the trope of like adventurer with dead wife but like really the, the wife wasn't his main motivation so it wasn't truly the trope but he definitely like uh like he based it off of his wife but also since they were dead he i think he said he connected his mother to it right like how his mother's passing definitely influenced his character like his personal character a lot which it's weird because like maybe i'm just bad at criticizing media but it's like he definitely does fall into that (laughs) trope he definitely does fall into that trope a bit of like you know oh the adventurer's dead wife is what motivates him to adventure but it's like especially with that context of it's like it's based directly on you know travis's experience with like loss motivating him it's like i completely forgive the usage of that trope because like because it just works for me i i just like it well here's the thing uh by the point they oh Oh, go ahead the only thing that like bothers me about it is that like I don't feel like I know anything about Julia except for the fact that her not being around makes Magnus sad and like I I don't know I just feel like it'd be nice if there was more to her than that that's totally fair 
I have a opinion on that actually, which is pretty much that like um as they they like it went later on, Magnus's motivation definitely turned to protecting Taco and Merle, uh, which was very pointed out in the uh when he took his rogue levels he was discussing that he always was worried about like he should take the big hits so that he doesn't want his friends to die but i don't know if it's just a projection or if it was actually like a point in the show but i think that definitely what he was doing was motivated by his wife because he was continuing to live and protect others sort of like in the gist of like I couldn't protect her I'm gonna do my damnness to protect the ones that I find dear to me right yeah and there and there's kind of also like I like the specific idea with you know the idea of him choosing to also like like he wants to protect others but also like he's like kind of learns like I don't always need to take the big hit for everyone else sometimes I can preserve myself and it's like right. I and I feel like it also ties into the I, whole idea of, huh I thought that was like I have a lot of feelings about like character development being like forced versus like player led in this show and I feel like that seemed like a very player led decision mm-hmm. yeah which I think was really nice yeah i love honestly i think a little like side thing i don't know if it exactly played into character development but i love that uh clint picked that merle has a family and like estranged kids god i remember cassie telling me like before she knew that merle had kids she's like if you draw merle he just has to look like a dad it's just not right if he doesn't and i was like (laughs) yeah you're right (laughs) oh yeah he definitely has the dad bod (laughs) Oh my god, can we while we're while we're on the subject of things Cassie said to me <laughs> without knowing, oh no. <laughs> can we can we talk about the loop thing, Cassie? I feel like we What's gotta build up thing? to it with some of the smaller funny ones. Cause that's okay. the biggest funny thing. That is the biggest one for sure. Um Okay, what are some of the remarks that you have made based off of as you were listening? Um, um one of them was that I wanted to see more like interactions between the player characters, which I never got, and I'm kind of salty about that. But like, <laughs> I I just remember feeling I think it was after arc two or three, like when I was going into the lunar interlude, I was like, okay, I want like, I want some character development to happen here. You know, I want the characters all the three player characters to hang out together and do some stuff and have some have a group dynamic and then I got the opposite of that where for like the first time in the show they're actually separated from each other and they're all doing different (laughs) things but it still got me exactly what I wanted because it was like character development which is it was just really funny because I told like day before that that was on my wish list (laughs) and then I got what I I got the spirit of what I wanted but like to the letter it was the opposite of what I said I wanted (laughs) exactly what you wanted but delivered in the way you didn't yeah one other one other small one I can remember is um after the temporal chalice episode in the 11th hour um which is a fucking fantastic episode by the way um 
I remember that we were talking about that episode and talking about how good of an episode it was and how good the execution was. And you expressed the idea of like, you were like, I know it's not the ending yet, oh, but yeah. I, I always like it when a story kind of like goes back to the beginning and explores like things at the beginning or before the, before the beginning of the show, like, you know, explores that ground zero right towards the end of the show. And I'm like, like right before the finale. And I'm like, ah, yes. I also <laughs> like that. <laughs> so um <laughs> i i'm struggling to think because there were definitely a lot but i'm struggling to think of them now that i'm on the spot for it yeah i think those were some of the biggest ones that were really funny but definitely um, the absolute biggest one you mentioned that yes. you had some cosplayer friends that were into the Adventure Zone. Yeah, and they cosplayed a character called Loop Taco, um, <laughs> who was who was going out with someone named Barry Blue Jeans. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so at some point in the show, there must be some gag about like, haha, Taco's first name is Loop. I bet you didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't tell you. I was literally like just sitting on my phone chatting with Cassie and she just says, oh, by the way, I know about Loop. And I'm like, oh? And she's like, I know that's Taco's <laughs> real name. And I'm like, oh! <laughs> I, I also want to say at the time I hadn't heard it pronounced, so I thought it was Lup. <laughs> and I... I think I sat there for like five minutes trying to respond to that message. I had no idea what to even say to be like, to be like, I was like, oh, yeah. And you're like, you're like, and I remember you being like, gosh, it sucks if they made it a whole mystery about like, oh, who's Luke? When it's like, oh, I already know the answer. And it's like, yeah, yeah. that sucks, right? Wait, hold and on. It, go ahead. Uh, sorry, just sidetracked. I just realized that you asked if you could swear, and my first like two sentences were misquoting our, the title of our show and then saying I've already fucked it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's sorry, weird. please continue. I just, I was thinking about that and I was like, but you didn't really need to ask. <laughs> You're fine. I'm not observant. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I and then like I remember at the end of the uh in the lunar interlude when it's like um Taco has a magic lessons with Angus and then like the name Loop is burned onto the wall, Cassie's like, Oh, I guess they're doing the thing. I already know the answer. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess you do. That's yeah, I was like, huh? Oh, I already know that's Taco's name. This is mystery. <laughs> I'm gonna be dead ass with you. I had no absolutely zero idea that loop was a separate person until like the stolen century no con no like no theories no working thing i was just like hmm there's definitely something in that like umbrella oh, yeah. but i don't know no that's actually the thing that's why cassie's listen through excited me so much because like i binged the series so i didn't have time to stop and think about like who's loop what's the deal with this what's the deal yeah. like i just listened I to it through 
Yeah, but I took I took one walk every day and listened to one episode every day. So like on a lot of <laughs> days, it would just be like after listening to the episode, me and Lynn would talk about it. So there's just a lot of really funny shit that I said that it was completely wrong. <laughs> but it was also really cool because that meant that like you got to experience the show like you got to do way more theory crafting than I ever did. Yeah, and the cool thing is, like, I didn't really have anything spoiled for me in, like, the whole show, um, aside from, of course, the really hilarious loop thing, but, yeah, like, also, I that's, like, mention- not a spoiler. <laughs> I want to mention that, I was like, so misled. you were like, let me look up these cosplayers, and then you saw, like, yeah. a Loop and Barry cosplay, and you're like, Barry blue jeans and I'm like how about you don't look at that account anymore <laughs> yeah yeah I was just like oh, I I guess I was like okay either this is like some weird end game shit where Barry comes back and dates taco or it's like <laughs> this is just some random ship where they're shipping Barry blue jeans from arc one with our our boy taco from tv <laughs> And it was it was yeah. also like cosplayers like they like gender like is so like it like not important it, it almost yeah yeah gender is like really yeah. like a, such a small thing in cosplay so I was just like you know they were like cosplaying like uh I I think the other thing is that taco like seems to have a very femme presentation so it was just mm-hmm. like you know they're cosplaying loop and I'm like. Oh yeah, that's a taco cosplay. Especially because they're they're fucking <laughs> twins, so it works out perfectly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this person was just super femme, and I was like, oh, that's taco. You know? <laughs> it was literally so fucking funny to just the sheer dread of oh I know about Luke. And I'm like, that's like the biggest yeah. fucking spoiler to I know that's really Taco's name. And I'm like, okay, I guess not. <laughs> Like, I can't believe that I said it like that. Like, like, what energy of just like, like, I know what the name is. Yeah, I can't believe I said it like that. Because if I had just said like, oh, yeah, I know that Whoop is Taco's real name, there wouldn't be that dramatic tension that you had. Like, (laughs) all the pieces just happened to fall together perfectly for it to be the funniest goddamn story. God, okay, it's so, so fucking funny. If we're talking uh, the Adventures on Balance, we have to talk about one thing is legally required, which is arms outstretched. Yes, which I think yeah. may be my favorite moment, roughly. It's I definitely got know it. that it's Cassie. But like, I want to talk about like what makes it so good. And if it's all right, I want to like start the discussion. Go ahead. Absolutely. Okay, so just from like my personal opinion, I think that the reason it is so good is because, uh, well, pr- like all of the components, obviously, uh, that come together for it. But really, it's that um, I know that Griffin discussed in the TTAZZ that he'd actually planned on like Magnus goes through the portal and then him and uh, Kravitz have like a badass adventure and the ethereal plane like battling ghosts and stuff but the immediately Merle and 
taco were just like nope that's not happening boom boom casting two different spells and they're like rolling mad saves to pull them away and so that was like a completely like they took the story by the fucking grips and so that changed the entire course of like the whole like them going back and infiltrating because i'm guessing griffin had absolutely zero plans for like putting magnus in a mannequin and like (laughs) them having to deal with the body and stuff but also just like that musical (laughs) score god it's so it reminds me of homestuck personally like one specific song from homestuck uses the exact same like and it always reminds me of that (laughs) (laughs) also um can i on the note of the magnus mannequin i fucking love the next episode when he makes him a character sheet and it's like ideals being a mannequin (laughs) flaws splinters (laughs) Like, yes. <laughs> yes. that was great um oh it's just you, the little things do you want to go next on the arms out stretch cassie yeah i guess so i feel like it is like a this is our, that moment is like a nexus point of a lot of my opinions on this show because mm. i feel like it's the <laughs> peak before things like just dropped off for me and just went in a direction I wasn't a fan of so like it's sort of like I feel like most Can you of the explain show... like what yeah? you're like like the things that you enjoy the most so it doesn't sound like you're just like shitting on this a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah I like I like firmly believe that like this kind of game like shines best in my mind when like everyone at the table like is important um and everyone at the table is like part of the story and like the adventure um and I started to feel during Stolen Century that like even though Griffin was like setting up a lot of things for the boys to do that were things their characters probably already would have done, they kind of still had to do those things to like guide the story back in to connect it back up with the timeline. Um, And at that point it started to like, I started to disconnect from the player characters, I think, because like, even though they were making decisions that were consistent with their characters like they weren't really decisions being made by the players griffin was just teeing things up for them and then they were hitting the ball off the off the t-ball thing um yeah sort of stuff that was more informed by the like people playing them rather than the characters themselves because like they knew meta things like oh this would be good to go with like uh travis having Magnus take up wood carving in the uh, episode where they are on the like artistic planet right and it was like they had to do that you know like it wasn't like Travis could have like I'm not saying I wanted him to uh, have ever been like actually no I don't take up carving but it's just the fact that like Griffin tees it up and they just do it and they don't think about it and they don't like although we did listen to that one together because that was like the only episode I listened yeah, to true. with you. Like I went on one of the walks 
And I remember that uh, Travis said that Magnus highly considered going into drums. Yeah, yeah. But the like stabbing <laughs> so was more funny. like. <laughs> now, right. It's, it's interesting because like all the things that for you are criticisms, like I are completely valid criticisms. And for me, those <laughs> are the choices that make me love the adventure zone and love like the final 20 episodes of, like the final like 10 to 15 episodes of it like stolen century and finale that's like thoroughly understandable like <clears throat> i guess i just felt like my favorite things were often when like the players drove something in a direction that felt their own right um, it wasn't like necessarily like in the plans for griffin like i I don't, I don't have issue with like how I know, I know in the T-Tazes, they were talking a lot about how there was like railroading in the show. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess like there's a linear path. Like I always got the impression there was kind of a linear path, but I also never got the impression that the player characters were like you know doing things like for griffin like it felt like they were just doing things for themselves and for who they understood their characters to be um so like for instance during like um suffering game one of my favorite arcs it's a really restrictive structure um but like within the narrative that makes sense it's like yeah of course it's a railroad like this entire thing is very highly controlled by these two powerful witches. And then honestly, when I look at it through that lens, through the fact that narratively it was such a railroad um, and then them breaking like so hard out of that at the end into like the coolest shit in the show, like that is like, I live for that shit. Right. It was so cool. Like Griffin was teeing like, Actually, I don't want to use the imagery of like teeing stuff up because that's not actually what I think it was because he just kind of was like driving the narrative in that one direction and then they pushed it in the different direction um, mm -hmm. because like it was a narrative and they were reacting to it like their characters developments and what their character did was what their characters did was like entirely their own versus like for instance in the finale where we have this moment where uh magnus is like wrestling the bear and griffin is like okay time to conjure up this flashback and like strong arm magnus into being like oh yeah i have to ask for help because i had this flashback that reminded me to ask for help and it like it didn't feel like it was his own development as a character like griffin that was probably like the moment where griffin like had the like strongest arm like that wasn't even t-ball that was just like griffin like fucking arm wrestling with like massive veins on his like huge arm just right like, you will fucking have character development travis <laughs> like and I just yeah. I just don't really vibe with that you know like right. I was willing to like go along with it for stolen century but I think when it continued into the finale like I just couldn't I just couldn't stick with it 
like wholeheartedly. So and I guess that's like a big part of why the finale was disappointing for me. Yeah. And it's, it's like for, for me, like I said, like, I don't disagree with any of that. It's just more so that like, it doesn't bother me the same way, you know? Right. That's understandable. Yeah. Also, real quick, before we get too off uh, off of it, I wanted to mention, like, the thing about Arms Outstretched I really love, I think is what it represents for their character development and their character growth, even outside of the literal idea of, like, the meta-narrative of, you know, Griffin has a thing set up and they push it in a different direction. That's really fucking cool, and I love that. I love what it represents in character growth of, like, for the first time in his fucking life, Taco's the one rushing in to save his friends. Yeah. And it yeah. was really cool. And that's like, that's the good shit to me is seeing like, w- you know, just seeing like what, how they've changed over the course of the story of like, now Taco's willing to do that. He's willing to like right? risk his life that he would like, which is something he would fucking never do before. And it's like, Mm-hmm. that it was such an effortless decision for him like that's what makes arms outstretched so powerful to me is just yeah like that that character pop soldier <laughs> i i i feel like it's like poetic um it, maybe that's the, like the wrong word for it but i like how the thing that seems to drive taco to that is like him completely just seeing through the bullshit <laughs> um like of the two witches who are just like completely like taco is a character who like he's he's taco from tv like he's a character but also taco in universe is kind of like a celebrity um which you could say irl celebrities are like real life characters (laughs) i don't know i don't know if that's anything anyone says but i'm going off on a slight tangent there but i feel like it's like though with the witches are like characters to the extreme taco just like he kind of like knows what that like he kind of knows that life and he sees straight through the shit (laughs) right which i really like and it feels like right that that's what pushes him to be like actually fuck it (laughs) you know what's i oh go ahead no you go I was well, about I was to gonna... talk about like Magnus dying. <laughs> you, Rip oh, Mag- at the very at the very end. Yeah, because we were talking about character growth and how they like changed, and I loved that. Um, Travis's comment that like Magnus was always the character that was rushing in and looking for a glorious death, and through the like campaign, he became the kind of person that wanted to die surrounded by his loved ones. Yeah, that he he had found a reason to live, and that's yeah. God, that's the good shit. There's oh my god. There's this one animatic um, that I haven't sent to either of you, so I probably should have done that ahead of time. But I didn't know I'd reference it. That depicts that scene, and they add a background detail that isn't directly in the show, but is one hundred percent canon in my mind. That like <laughs> while like it's a head canon. That's you know that's the phrase. Um, which is like while Magnus is like on his deathbed, the they show Taco like at the foot of the bed, looking like he's having like a panic attack, and like there's such a good fucking emotion on his face, and that really feels like Taco's character of like 
not being able to cope with this reality, you know, of like not expecting that to come. Right. Yeah. And like, which I'll, must I'll, have been like, sorry. I'll send, um, I'll super quick send a screenshot of that in the chat. Um, so you guys can see what I mean. Um, sorry, one second. Yeah, but if you think about it, that must have been such a wild dynamic for Taco because he's great. He's like elves live like super long. I think they're probably one of the longest living races in the Forgotten mm-hmm. Realms, and his like fucking like Amor is the Grim Reaper, and like so he knows that his friend is dying the way he wanted to and he's going to be very well guided to the afterlife he's going to be very secure he knows exactly where he's going but he's still losing that person in his life who has been there for like literally like a good fucking portion of like magnus's natural lifespan as well as all the years that they spent together in the stolen century like literally they got like 160 years together and then after all of that all of their adventures like everything that's canon or from the like live shows and and all the bonus episodes and stuff all that time that they spent together and they kept in touch and they maybe they drifted apart around like later in their lives but they still stuck together like he's losing that person that went through all of that stuff and i just cannot imagine what it must have been like for him because like taco has definitely lost people but like a lot of the people that he lost he found again like loop yeah yeah and And i was actually thinking i was thinking about that with like i feel like and did you guys see the screenshot i sent yeah Uh, it is wrong (laughs) Um, just so you know, uh, the one I'm looking at is called Magnus in Paradise, and it's by Sarah Hopkins on YouTube. Um, it's a very good animatic. Um, either way, and it's like, it, I don't know, even like that, it feels like you could, there's kind of a connection being made of like, he probably has trauma from losing Loop and then realizing he lost Loop and like, doesn't handle that well. And like, I think it's that sort of, off-screen character development is weirdly enough like one of my favorite parts of the adventure zone also like just quick side note i appreciate that in this animatic it implies that somehow uh like magnus died before lucretia even though isn't lucretia <laughs> a, a human or she yeah a yeah no she's a human yeah and she's got like 40 extra years take it off That's and so like true. somehow magnus was just like oh i'm croaking first because she's like sitting there <laughs> in her old, little old lady chair just like putting her hand on <laughs> i don't know i just found that a little detail funny that oh. he just happens to be the first one to die oh my gosh also also i had another um piece of character development from taco from the uh from the lunar interlude right before suffering game that actually ties into this pretty well where it's like when he goes on the date with kravitz right yeah and kravitz asks taco like why are you doing this why aren't you doing a safer career and he just honestly is like i'm worried no one else will have me and like 
that feel like that feels like taco that's taco like right. yeah he, he has a very very like obviously uh strong confident demeanor but like he is extremely insecure it feels like and i fucking like he feels like a real a real person a real character because of that yeah i love justin's character development of taco because like very much the it isn't always goof goof dildo i'm a fully realized character (laughs) i have emotions and like he really played off of that but i think the wildest character thing that i just i didn't really pick up on but once you know it you're like oh damn was uh merle like bullying the absolute shit out of angus because he was worried that angus would take his place in the group yes 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 and it's honestly things like that like because I know there's definitely a complaint to be made about there's not a lot of on-screen character development or, like, a lot of on-screen, like, but it's things like that that, like, make me feel like you don't need it. Like, it, like, it feels like these characters still exist in the time that they're off-screen and still grow in the time they're off-screen. It's just what we get to see. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, that's, like, that, especially where, you know, he's, like, oh, because Merle's insecure about his position on the team and he sees Angus as a threat. It's like, it really makes you realize, like, wow, Merle is an actual fucking character and not just Clint. Like, Honestly, that's an interesting point you just made because I think that's, like, something that's, like, really hard for me. Like, character development that I can't, like, see. Like, I'm very much about, like, the little things, I think, and that's why I cherish the interludes so much because it's a chance Mm -hmm. for the characters to just just be, you know? Right. Um, Like, without, like, an adventure or anything. They just get to be for a little while, and that's, like, I'm always, I was always excited to get to the next interlude because it's like, we're going to get to have some of that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I just think like, I cherish that stuff so much that it's like a shame for me when it happens off screen. And it's like really subtle and stuff. And it's just like, oh, okay. And honestly, it's it's kind of, I'll say that it's one of those things that I think on further re-listens you get a deeper appreciation for of those subtleties. Right, of, probably. Like, like, a, like the Stolen Century, for example, the whole setup of that is like Griffin's trying to feed them literally a century's worth of memories in like in seven, seven episodes. Seven episodes, yeah. Yeah, and it's like that's literally a tenth of the entire podcast including the Stolen Century. And it's like I think the there's a lot of weightlifting done by the idea of like we only get glimpses of like first we see the first one, then the eighth one, then the twelfth one or whatever. And it's like but all those years in between still did happen and they still interacted and grew together like in those years even if we didn't directly see them and like like i said for me like i'm that off-screen character development doesn't feel like it doesn't exist for me like for me it's not that it feels like it doesn't exist it's just that like i want to like be there for that like yeah i spend so much time with the characters just like 
doing things and going on adventures. And I, I just always really wanted to like see them interact with each other more and just like have Absolutely. some of that. Like I keep thinking of whenever Griffin like asks one of them like about their character's thought process or something. And he says like, can you like break me off a piece of that or something like that? Like <laughs> I, I'm thinking of that wording right now. I'm just like, break me off a piece. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I I absolutely I absolutely agree with that. Also, just yeah. side comment, I have loved your phrasing, Cassie, through all the listening of this because you would be like listening to a part you're really enjoying. Like I know that's something you probably want to touch on, and this could be a lead up to it, was um loop and how uh it was like a trans person like wanting to go back into their natural body. Yeah, and you were like, mm, "This is tasty," and I was like, <laughs> mm, "Some delicious narrative." <laughs> yeah, it's spicy meatball of a narrative, like Luke. Up until she becomes a death cop, is like a really good trans character, in my opinion, <laughs> because like, um, even though it's not like an overtly trans narrative, everything she does feels like like feels like I know plenty of trans people that are like that like uh-huh. a big part of it is her like kind of punkish nature um where she's like distrustful of authority but like mm-hmm. is also like v- values like like I'll say that like I think a lot of depictions of punk miss the point where like punk is about dismantling authority but it's also about like mutual aid and it's about like uh building a better society um and I think loop embodies that which I think is like it's good it's I'm about to say something I'm about to say a funny sentence it's good punk representation um and like what wait it's good what representation it's good punk Punk. representation hell yeah um and like Cassie uh, Cassie are you a punk uh I don't know I don't know so something you need to tell us <laughs> um but like like you mix that in like you mix your paints with like trans representation and it's like oh that 100% tracks that just makes sense yeah you know it's, it's like you know fucking every trans person every trans person I know like you know <clears throat> sorry hi um every trans person I know like feels the same way about authority because it's like we've been fucked over by authority so so much it's like it really feels like griffin like put in the work on that up until it becomes a death cop (sighs) (laughs) i know i like i like uh... to just ignore that that ever happened (laughs) (laughs) especially considering it's literally the like the last fucking sentence we hear about loop (laughs) yeah uh it's like i will i will note on that like i think the only possible justification for it is it's not is it's like there's a difference between like an actual cop that's just a eh, bastard um compared to like oh <laughs> life it life and death is like you know an actual concept <laughs> like yeah i just it didn't feel like that was 
fully explored. Like, yeah, I guess that dovetails I, together with my feeling that they set up this really interesting idea of like an uprising against the laws of death. And I was like, oh, so that's going to go places, right? And then it doesn't. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to defend Griffin's choice to about where Luke goes after you know, after the story's all said and done. I'm not going to defend that. I don't like that decision. (laughs) If it helps, I am not defending, nor am I trying to tear it down. But much of the phrasing that Griffin uses when referring to Kravitz is less of death cop and more of bounty hunter. That's true. So I don't think it exactly falls into, oh, I'm upholding the law regardless of the moral obligations of it and more of a, I'm bringing these people in my own way, which seems a little bit more in line with the punk. Obviously, I don't have exactly have any platform to stand on here. So this is really just me like saying what I have to say because I'm not punk and I'm not trans. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's, it's just no a decision. Uh, discussion for later you know what i do <laughs> like just filing that away <laughs> i just want to i want to push that under the rug because this is about celebrating the adventure zone and yeah yeah that's just sure. it's, it's one it's one shitty decision that like eh. <laughs> should have been better yeah. i guess it just it definitely was like um one of those situations where it feels like I feel like a lot of media falls into the trap where they'll open a like big and interesting question that I don't think anyone has answers to and like they won't try to answer or even explore it they'll just kind of yeah right like I feel that yeah like the idea of an uprising um of the dead I kind of like this is like a small weird thing but I like the idea of theoretical ethics like there's no such thing in the real world as an uprising of the dead like the laws of nature are just kind of a thing that things can't break so like as far as we know Yeah, like you can put that in fiction and you can explore it from an ethical perspective, even though like it's completely just imaginary, like even though something like that will never happen in real life, you can still put it in a fictional world and treat it like an ethical problem. Um, And that's kind of what I thought was being set up there in Arc 4 in Crystal Kingdom, um, but I guess it was just assumed to be a foregone conclusion that like death is forever and the laws of nature have to be held up. And okay, sure. Oh yeah. I know, like I totally get that. And like I don't disagree with you at, at all on that. I, I know like I saw a fucking post about this that actually like I like uh I like viewing Legion the you know the 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 death the 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 uprising like the dead uprising i saw like there was a comment that said that like the legion was arguably like a basically a hunger before it became a hunger that makes sense of like a group of people all like hive minding together 
um, in order to essentially like in order to like in order to get other people to join them and like in order to like do like it to do whatever and it I like the idea that under the lens that like that's what Legion was supposed to be was essentially like the beginnings of a hunger the beginnings right. of like a, a sort of hive mind of expansion and dissatisfaction and i mean this that, like, i guess specifically it, rebels against the laws of the universe yeah and i guess it does make sense of like they're dissatisfied with the life they led and they want to continue leading life and it's like mm-hmm. i guess i guess it makes sense through that lens and like but i don't know if i view legion through that lens i like it more as a concept as a villain i guess but it's like i totally agree with you on the idea of like I'm all for uprisings against laws. That's great. <laughs> yeah, but it's also like, I think it's a different question than real life laws because real life laws are like negotiable and they can change and they're like enforced by like people mm-hmm. and like laws of nature are just, they're the way the world works and mm-hmm. like they don't really change and you like have to work around them, you know? Um so like just it's just like interesting to me to like put that in fiction and like here's some theoretical ethics baby doesn't make sense from like a real world perspective but in this fictional world it does so we can explore it as an ethical question you know right i will um i mentioned the hunger and i want to talk about the hunger Uh because i i love the hunger as a bbhe for this story i think the i think the hunger is like the best possible um villain for a story of this scale and also i generally like the idea of the hunger as a villain in general because um and i've i've seen different like i've seen different perspectives on this and like the lens i really like to view the hunger through is like i mentioned earlier the the whole idea of dissatisfaction leading to infinite growth and at the cost of any resources of any kind, no matter what. That's capitalism, baby. That's capitalism, baby. And it's like, I love that idea because like, if you think about the stolen century, it is a multidimensional story. And while we're following these seven small, tiny characters, like, it is not a villain for these seven people. It's a villain for all the worlds that they're visiting. And these are just visitors that witness this villain. And it's like, what villain, like what could, like what could actually uh, threaten entire dimensions and universes more than capitalism? And like, <laughs> right. Right. And it's always capitalism, isn't it? It really fucking is. Sure is. <laughs> Actually, um, when you guys were talking about the uh, like ethics stuff, mm-hmm. I remember one thing, Cassie, that you got super excited about was the judges. Yeah. That was like, I think I remember like texting like, you know, whenever like something hype happens on the show and then I like text it to you. 
Um, yeah. I got so excited about the judges because like over the whole show, like there's kind of been the joke of like, haha, the Chase Horny Boys are real mean jerk holes. Um, and I was kind of content with that just being a funny joke, you know? Um, I was like, yeah, ha ha ha, that's funny. Um, but then like in during stolen century they set up the idea that like oh, okay now now it's not a funny joke anymore now we're gonna like some shit's gonna go down because of this and then i was like oh okay so like they're invoking their future um like future sins because this is gonna be like they're gonna genuinely unpack this stuff and then they like don't in that episode and then i was like oh, okay, maybe that was Griffin's, like, attempt at addressing this thing that, like, is kind of just controlled by the boys and he didn't plan for in the narrative. And then I was like, okay, a little dissatisfying, but fine, whatever. I didn't need you to wrap that up anyway. Um, But, you know, I was still interested in it. And then in the finale, when the judges appear, I was like, oh, what? The judges are working with the hunger? Like, they're totally going to do some cool shit of like, all right, Trace Horny Boys, time to answer for like Duncan Duncan Angus in the trash can and uh, doing all the weird killing and shit. And then they're they're just big guys that fight and that's all they are in the finale and like that was so boring to right me. that's that's totally fair like i because i think the what the judges were used for in the finale feels like it was just like big creatures that could not be stopped without help from friends because that's how yeah. each of them get defeated but i think it, the mm-hmm. fact that it was specifically the judges is definitely like you could have done more with that yeah like led me down over the wrong direction you know mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like, like uh, i think a- it made it especially dissatisfying that it like teed me up to think of like oh shit we're gonna get some good trace horny boys content in this uh finale here and then we kind of like i know we get the like uh well okay we get the stuff that griffin forces on them and then we get we I I was glad that they got to lead their epilogues. Like I was mm-hmm. happy about that. Um, but yeah, and it because I know for me, like my favorite characters, my two favorite characters are Lucretia and Loop, who like are Griffin's NPCs. You know, right? And it's like, um. Because I don't know, it's it's interesting because it's like obviously this is a D and D podcast where it's you know these three characters played by these three people and then you know the story the rest of the world and the story being done by Griffin. But it's like if you it's kind of weird because like that inherently puts a lot of importance on the three PCs, the three like main the three characters being played by players. But it's right. like, but also if you kind of like think of it as just a story it's like they're just more characters in this story and it's like yeah that's just not what it is to me though it's not like just a story it's the thing that these four boys shared and like it just feels like one of the boys got the biggest share of the sharing right Mm -hmm. and it's it's a weird thing because it's like i don't know 
I fucking love Griffin's story. It's it's yeah, my it's my favorite like, story. I'm not sitting here like Griffin needs to be tried for his crimes and walked into <laughs> the DM prison. Like I'm sure he did what he felt was like right and like what was good for the game and for the, his bros and for uh for the podcast and like you know I'm not I'm not sitting here like what a malicious dude teeing up this character development for Magnus but that was that was some pretty wild strong arming it's just kind of like not my not my kind of flavor mm-hmm. yeah because the it, it was both a like regular ass TTRPG campaign but at the same time they really became more that they were telling a specific story together and so it left out some of the elements that a lot of ttrpgs have where there's like a complete freedom to address a thing because like at the end i think it was the end of the second uh finale episode or maybe the first one but like um the announcer aka junior says we know you you know you're gonna win but how do we get there so like yeah there is like a guaranteed like yeah we're getting the payoff they're gonna win it's just about how it's actually gonna go down yeah i guess that's the like thing for me is you said like it's a story they're telling together and like i felt like that for a while but toward the end it felt like it lost the together part like it, mm-hmm. I've mentioned this before to you that like for me like it really feels like it's kind of uh, the Trace Horny Boys are all the ingredients that end up in that end up creating the finale like it's like all the earlier arcs like they feed all the elements and all the ingredients of what is going to end up being in the finale that is ultimately driven by the person that's driving the world because the finale is a world-class thing yeah like a lot of like pretty much everything that they did was well informed by their characters like at that point that is what the character would have done and like right after cassie explains like yeah that was definitely some strong arming and i definitely feel like magnus at that point was the kind of person who would have been able to handle it on his own or ask for help without the like little strong arming because they like had his arms pinned behind his back or something like that. Yeah, I know he was like pinned down on the ground, like being savaged. But like so much of it definitely was informed by the characters and like just like Justin Travis and Clint, like knowing like this is what my character would do or this is the decision that needs to happen but it is also the decision that i'm picking like there is a general sense of like i should go with this but it's also like an informed choice is the way i would phrase it right like i i guess that's what i was saying is like it all it never felt like something that their character wouldn't have done already or that the their player wouldn't have chosen anyway it just felt like it wasn't their thing to choose right and it definitely was choosing like um a lot on taco like yeah they did put a lot of pressure on the point that there was a third choice but like 
there was never really a like oh this is the third choice or any sort of hint at all towards that so like yeah i was glad about that surrounded off the dome yeah and then also once they got to the hunger and they had that little pause point from istis like um taco made the choice to go back and then i saw that they were like easily handling and he was like nah i'm gonna stick up here like he was gonna go back but like from the circumstances it was fine and so he chose to like stick with them and i i guess like for me what does that choice lead to though um it led to the scene of like you know like the concept of them being willing to rush into danger to save lucretia you know yeah like hold the like waves and waves of creatures coming at them so lucretia could finally cast the spell and they could dip but it just ends after that right well yeah i think that's like one of the last scenes well no it's it's one of the last conflict scenes yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um and it's kind of like the like yeah and it's also what you've been mentioning about the idea of it's like that it does feel like the decisions the characters would make but you would rather they totally make those decisions yeah and yeah for for me i i see that element and that's why i like the storytelling here because to me it represents like an understanding between griffin and each of the players that like he knows them well enough to know what is okay and what isn't okay with them and he knows like like and they know that too like it feels like they really mutually understand what they're trying to do here and that like it feels like there's a sense of understanding of like here like here's what needs to happen and it's like i'm okay with that like yeah i I it's kind of established sorry i was just gonna say i totally get that sense in both the stolen century and the finale yeah, yeah, like that's that's the other thing is like it they do seem okay with it. They're like, yeah, all right, my character would do that. You're right, Griffin. But like he's right, but I still wish it was theirs, you know, and not yeah. his. And it's and like I said, it's like like for me, it's like if the players weren't okay with that, I would have a huge problem with that. Yeah, yeah, like it would be a much bigger problem. (laughs) From the uh Crystal Kingdom, that really set like a precedent for, or like one of the precedents for Taco, where like if he doesn't want to do something, he's not gonna do it. Like Magnus was like full on ready to carry him into that uh elevator so they could go down and to the little tiny city and taco is just like no what why do i have to go and they couldn't come up with a reason so he just stayed out and it became a lot funnier because he was like pretending to help them but he was really just like eating his sandwich or even like (laughs) in the finale when like uh lucretia like comes back and uh like she finally drops her barrier and like magnus runs up to hug her and then magnus is like get in here taco and he's like no don't force my character growth like yeah i i love that because it is it is like you know he is still deciding what he would do there you know and it's like he's still like even though 
the nice thing would be for him to forgive Lucretia. He doesn't because he doesn't need to. He wouldn't. Yeah, because his character is like super close with Loop, like literally like life bond levels of like this is the person like not in even a romantic way just like this is my sibling we've literally lived our lives together we are separate and like i do appreciate that it wasn't a whole like oh loop is an offshoot of taco they managed that really well as like yeah loop truly is her own character yeah no loop like, doesn't just feel like taco too yeah that was a really good like fresh breath of air after like seeing all the like twin tropes of like oh it's two people but with slightly different colored hair or maybe one of them's a <laughs> little bit mean but they're basically the same person right like and no it's... they in, they specialize in entirely different schools of magic they had a completely different attitudes on stuff uh the different like people that they were attracted to like a whole different like this is a clearly defined separate character Mm -hmm. and like yeah no it's i i i love loop so much Mm -hmm. she is tied with lucretia for being my favorite character like they're both which is funny because like it's kind of set up that they're like with the whole plan and everything about like, you know, what to do about the hunger and the light of creation. It's kind of set up that they're like on opposite sides. So it's funny that they're both my favorite. <laughs> True. Yeah. But it cause... makes me think of, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, it makes me think of like the avatar, the last airbender scenario Basically, anyone I've ever asked that has watched that show, I asked them what's their favorite character. It's always one of the, like, quote-unquote side characters because Aang is implied to be the main. But, like, everyone loves the side characters. Like, nobody has ever told me that Aang is their favorite character. Right. It's because it's all the the side (laughs) characters, the ones who get the development. And so I feel like while the boys get like a lot of development also the side characters get like quite a bit of development especially during like the stolen century because you're seeing like lucretia go from oh nerd with a journal to i have to handle things myself i am more of a leadership role now can we talk about lucretia yeah yeah go right ahead because fuck she is such a complex god damn i spilled water again she is such a complex character (laughs) she's such a complex character that like goes through so many different versions throughout the podcast until you finally figure out like everything about her and it's like for a while you think she might be the main villain and you might think she's like fucking over the boys and then you figure out she does have more motivations and then you find out like like I shit you not I will literally just be sitting there and I'll just think about the idea of Lucretia seeing her best friends for a century and having to hide her emotions and having to hide how happy is sorry how happy she is my bad how happy she is to see them again and I think about that concept of her hiding those emotions and her like feeling that joy and I just I it it makes me cry (laughs) Like, I just, 
her whole concept is like I saw I saw a thing where it was like um, where it was talking about headcanons for Taco and Lucretia in particular where it's like they're both like autistic people that and they didn't mean that in a derogatory way it's like they're both like autistic people that have trouble understanding the emotions of of others but it's like Taco would sacrifice the world for his friends and Lucretia would sacrifice her friends for the world like mm-hmm. and but like yeah just I don't know Lucretia her the whole concept of like I think her character arc she has in the finale and the last episode of the Stolen Century of she feels like she only has one option and she has to temporarily betray her friends to do that and then like basically rediscovering that it is in fact okay to get help from her friends and that she doesn't have to do everything by herself and like the fucking scene where she drops her barrier and just like is like i'm sorry and then magnus just immediately runs in and hugs her like complete like just without hesitation like it's so good it's so so good yeah and i definitely feel the struggle of like only being able to focus on one thing and then suddenly like there is a different thing that is far easier suggested to me which i i understand on a personal level because a i have autism but also b i live with somebody who doesn't and so Mm -hmm. i will be doing something in an overly complicated and hard fashion and then my partner will point out the easy and simple thing that i could have done or i could do instead and i'll just be like a little like face palm of like oh yeah it's right there (laughs) that's such a movie god yeah i just just the the whole arc of like Lucretia kind of figuring out like she's like I need to do this myself because I I can't wait for people to like save me and then figuring out that like actually no I can just ask my friends for help like it's it's such a simple message but it's so powerful Mm -hmm. she's she's just like she's my favorite character she's just so good there's a lot of people that like see her as a villain I mean, she could definitely like be a villain in some people's stories because I can understand the perspective of say your friends are your whole world. And so it's hard to understand like somebody like literally erasing all of your memories. I know that like personally, I would probably, if I were in this scenario, I would probably hate Lucretia for the rest of my life if she did that to me. She feels like um, she feels like a mother figure to me, like in the sense that um, I feel like it's like a a lot of parents um, seem like they kind of like hold on to secrets um, Mm -hmm. for the sake Mm -hmm. of like their kids. And like they kind of just like bear the weight of things that they can't tell the people they're closest to. Yeah, a lot of parents take on the like, oh, I have to make the hard decisions because they're my child. They shouldn't have to make the hard decisions. Right. Which is like kind of the scenario that it falls into. But like at a certain point, like your child's a whole ass person and like they have their own autonomy. 
like even from a pretty young age like you can easily see that kids don't like certain things and they have preferences and they have their own interests and stuff and really like I think that a good thing to do is to have the like approach of taking their things into account or just talking Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's like honestly you mentioning that that kind of like um that kind of makes me maybe realize why i like lucretia so much and i think it's because you know obviously there's the whole idea of like a mother like that she's sort of a mother figure and there's a whole idea of like a mom in real life being like oh well i know best when you when she clearly doesn't and seeing someone go from i know what's best i have to do this because it's best for you to being like i was wrong i didn't know best and like i you know like to accepting that like it's kind of i'm gonna get sad oh (laughs) sorry (laughs) i wish my mom would say that to me right that's that's kind of what but that also is kind of what i'm getting at of like it's kind of gratifying to hear a character say that I mean, when you put it like that, it is really nice. Like, I, I, I think like I was like, I've toward the end, I was definitely feeling this like detachment from the show. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I think when you put it in terms that makes sense to me and feel right to me and in a way that like, I, it's funny to say this, but I feel more attached to and engaged with this conversation than I was with those last two arcs right so when you put like the same sentiment in like words like in a place where I'm engaged and like I'm listening to you it's just like it has like more power than I feel like it did yeah like you get it yeah yeah and I honestly I think that's kind of why the I guess railroading in the finale never bothered me because I wasn't there to see the players make interesting decisions i was there to see those messages and to see those that that story play out yeah Yeah, to see the finale that everything has been leading up to the results of all the decisions are really not decisions the like i guess i guess uh d and like tabletop games to me are a conversation and i Mm -hmm. think Remember at the very beginning of the show um, when, like, I was talking about, like, yeah, I know, I understand that, like, you know, realities of tabletop games, you're not going to get into character right away. Um, I was, like, very accepting of the way that the show is, like, is a tabletop game, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then fast forward to the end and it like doesn't feel like one anymore. And I just want it to be that again, you know? Like and you know what's really funny about interesting art. You know what's really funny about that? Because I actually I've put it this way to people before when I'm recommending the show to people, which is that I sincerely think because I once again just want to state like I love the stolen century and I love the finale. And I think that the heart of the podcast is in those two arcs. Like that is, if those arcs weren't there, the podcast would not mean half as much to me. It just like, that's, and it, mm-hmm. that's the thing is like, we can kind of approximate that, you know, like me 
having been so like disillusioned and dissatisfied by those arcs is like this is how I feel about the show it's like yeah I had a fun time and I really enjoyed it but like it's not the same thing and for me as it is for you when I've recommended it to people before I've said it this way of like if the show ended right after Suffering Game if that last lunar interlude just led straight into the finale and we never got the stolen century, I think it would have been an absolutely amazing D&D campaign and I think it would have been a really good D&D podcast. Going into the stolen century and exploring that story and exploring those memories and setting them up to kind of be more than their characters, to be legendary figures like that and to like represent all this, it... I've often said before that like that is what makes the story transcend from just a really good D&D podcast to my favorite story. Right. Yeah, because it's really a piece of media. And when you go back and listen, you're listening to the TTRPG bits and you're like, you're enjoying them. But like, at least for me, when I listen to it, I'm there for the story Personally, I love um, the exhibition, the not exhibition. That is not the thing. Uh, The bits where he's just like talking, like giving us a little side story, like things that they the boys didn't even hear unless they listened, like the little bits where they see a scene of like something happening, like Barry uh, sitting in his dank cave, like looking at weird stuff and the jar or like, like, like I love when, the story elements when, like, a lot, her, and that's when like what Hurley I and for. Hurley and Sloane like saved uh, Merle's stepdaughter. Yeah, yeah, like because it really yeah. connects you to the world. And it's like, like, go ahead. I I feel like a broken record, but those moments were actually like a little sad for me because like I I always whenever there's something I don't quite that doesn't quite sit right with me in a piece of fiction I always kind of write it out till the end you know to see if it feels right by the end you know Mm -hmm. um and I I feel like maybe like a lot of little dissatisfactions that were building over a long time kind of started to come out toward the end because like you know those things felt like I didn't like them, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt to see if mm-hmm. they would lead to something that I really liked and it just didn't pan out. I think when Griffin started doing those things where he would completely jump away from like the the boys, like the other three people at the table um, and go off and do this other thing, like it, that's when like it started to creep in that it didn't feel like everyone's game anymore and it felt like it was just Griffin's story. Right. And yeah, that's a good point. I just yeah. like this is why I really wanted to like I got excited honestly when Cassie started like talking about her views on the finale because uh, you she was texting me and Lynn about it like yesterday. And this is why I got excited because I feel like the way you view this story versus the way that Lynn views this story and I view this story is like such an interesting way to view it. And it's entirely valid in how you view it. And like 
mm-hmm. hearing these little things it, from a different perspective like really honestly makes me enjoy it more I'm glad because it's so interesting to hear like how you were enjoying it like how like important the character development the character interactions were versus like the story like which were truly and purely story and not like involving the boys at all right you know like the animated series like if that gets made and like it's it's a good retelling of this story I think toward the end, just for the fact that it's an animated show and not a tabletop game, I might like it better. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you know? like, like in a scripted show, like it doesn't, it's not really like a bad thing if Magnus gets strong armed into uh, asking for help and having some character development. Cause that's like, that's what writing a show is, you know? And I guess it's like, I'm kind of, when I listen to the last couple arcs, I'm kind of already in that headspace of it's like, it, it like, and it's like, it's not a problem for me where it's like, it, it does kind of feel like they're actors in this story and I'm okay with that. I get that. I just, I, I, yeah, I guess I just can't fundamentally get in that space yeah the, the, the ttrpg element of it is just too important to you yeah there's nothing wrong with that like i think it makes me like feel like i can recommend you other things a little bit more accurately like i have oh, cool. a podcast i've been dying to recommend to you because of all the interesting elements they have on it it's um dungeons and daddies and honestly i love the way they do it because they do it story-wise but everything is entirely canon and they have to interact with each other because it's like how they have to function in the game but they also have like elements where they involve the uh patreons because they have a patreon going like one of the characters was on trial for the crime of being a bad dad because they're all dads and they're like trying to (laughs) reconnect with their sons while also like venturing through the forgotten realms and so one of them is on trial for being a bad dad and literally they got like an independent jury from the patrons and made them vote on it jury style like they made them deliberate for a while and then vote like an actual jury and then they like rolled the dice off of that and i think that was such an interesting like way to do that that is really neat that's great also, you know what I want to note real quick? Yeah. This is a very specifically personal thing, but I've noticed, like, because, okay, so what we kind of come to the conclusion of is, like, towards the Stolen Century and the finale of, of Taz Balance, it gets away from the TTRPG elements of that total player freedom, where it's, it becomes more of Griffin is writing a story that these players are the characters of versus like yeah these these players are writing a story with griffin and it's like and it's kind of a thing where it's like i really like it despite that and it's like i really and not even despite that i like it because i like griffin's story and i like the role that these players play as the characters and it's and to say like this is what i'm trying to the point i'm trying to get to is like my favorite band 
is a streetlight manifesto and there's a lot of people they're technically it's ska punk right and there's a lot of people that argue about whether or not they're really ska because like they don't there's like a specific type of beat that ska music does and they don't always do that beat and it's like people are like oh are they really ska or not and it's like for me it's like well i don't care because i'm not there because i want them to be a ska band i want them to be them like i want them to be yeah streetlight manifesto and in, for this story it's the exact same thing of like i'm not here because i want it to be a D game i'm here because i want to hear this story i think that's the thing is like i don't like to like hold things their medium you know it's like for me it's not about specifically it's not specifically about i want this to be a ttrpg thing it's specifically about this is like it's about ownership i think in my mind Mm -hmm. it's like everybody up until stolen century i think got to feel like ownership over the story and the characters and everything like obviously like griffin was still driving this boat you know but it was Mm -hmm. still kind of everyone's boat yeah they were moving the sails adjusting the rudder yeah doing other stuff with rope i don't know too much about boats (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and that's like that's totally fair and i you know we're we've i think we've tried it around the same point 14 different yeah times. I, I think they have that's how adhd goes it sure <laughs> yeah. is it's just but you know i think like, it's been like, it's been an hour and uh it's been over an hour i think it's been an hour and 42 minutes Ooh, i think this is gonna take the place of the longest episode then yeah definitely and the thing is like i i still, had fun I still have a lot I could say. <laughs> yeah, same. There's like so much, like especially because like I every arc has so much to talk about. Yeah, you know? I I love this story so much, and it's like honestly, it's uh, like it's a bit weird because you know a lot of this podcast was discussing like our different views on the finale, and it's like if I had a space where it is purely just let's talk about why the finale is good without any like like I would have a lot to say about why the finale is good in my eyes without like sorry if i like got in the way of that you're totally fine that's not your fault that's just like uh i don't know how to work with that like it's just i i don't (laughs) i don't know how to you know i don't know how to do that that's not your fault um but it's like uh there's just i there's so much there's and i mean to be fair there's 80 plus hours of story here you're not going to be able to talk about everything in only two hours right absolutely oh this is just generally like we would talk about leech fights and then we didn't oh shit let's talk about leech fights real quick okay (laughs) what is what is this leech fights discourse okay it's not even a discourse as much as an observation so okay (laughs) at the beginning of murder at the rockport limited they land in a, a a bog like a forest bog and they run in some leeches and they fight them for the entire last half of that episode and the entire first half of the next episode and it is arguably the most useless fight in the entire podcast and it does <laughs> nothing for the plot it does not like 
you could argue it helps them show off some of their cool new toys. Like Magnus gets to use rail splitter for the first time to cut down a tree. That's cool. But it's like, it is the most worthless fight in the whole series. And it is just there to pad time. And I mean, really what it was, was that, um, I think it was taco just pulled the handle on the ball too early because they didn't have it explained. And really, I think that was like really not supposed to happen. So the leech fight was just set up if they do it. That's fair. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Samuel. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing. Every arc has a leech fight. It's a tradition. So explain like a, a useless fight that doesn't really build on anything that's usually at the very beginning of the arc here there'll be yeah. gerblins the very first thing they do is they just fight some gerblins like that are like outside the cave before they go, even go into the cave and like see anything with like clark or anything they're just fighting some gerblins because they are rockport limited has mm-hmm. the leeches um pedals to the metal is the only one that arguably doesn't have a leech fight because cat like I would argue that the Trent the Treant fight is a leech fight. Cassie doesn't because she thinks it's it's too funny to be a leech fight. Yeah, in my mind, a leech fight has to be like gratingly boring. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. The, the Trent the Treant. I definitely fight. think that the Treant one dragged on a little of because they were like trying to talk to it, but they were also like actively trying to murder it at, while calming it down, but also being like. Hey, uh, how can I murder this? But also, like, keep it calm about how I'm murdering it. And I was just like, "What is this weird ass dynamic they're trying to get going?" <laughs> right. Um. Because so I was like, ar- "No, no, 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 it's okay." And Magnus was like, "Murder." I. <laughs> I would argue that the Trent the Triant fight is a leech fight. Cassie disagrees. I don't care that much. Um. <laughs> in the Crystal Kingdom. The le- this leech fight is unique because it's not at the very beginning. They fight the tardigrades that like mm-hmm. in one of the yeah. rooms in zero gravity and it's it does nothing for the, the rest of the arc. Like it's just there. And the, it's 11th, boring. the 11th hour the leech fight there does serve a purpose because they fight the baby purple worms. You later find and they spare them which is important and you later find out that like those are the purple worms of the like those are the babies so that that's a semi leech fight because it does have a purpose suffering game yeah. they, fight, they fight a chimera at the very beginning I that think... has no bearing on the rest of the story yeah i realize yeah that's that, entirely like, fair now. also i think um i think the reason the purple worms are still a leech fight is because like at the time that they fight them they are just purple worms yeah you don't you don't know anything like oh that was a thing for the plot yeah the stolen century i don't think has a leech fight but that's because it's not technically dnd um, yeah it doesn't have fights because elite i think a leech fight is absolutely an extension of dnd's combat um <laughs> and- i hate to tell you this but i kind of think the final boss is a little bit of a leech fight i was was gonna uh, argue in the finale that very first fight as soon as they get back into the finale and they fight against just the nameless shadows of the hunger like the rhinoceros and the hand and whatnot that was kind of a leech oh definitely i feel like the first i I guess i gotta walk back of john was kind of a leech fight 
yeah i feel like i gotta walk back i gotta walk that back though because that is that is narrative yeah that is definitely narrative it's 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 just boring (laughs) it is it's kind of a weird thing because i forgive that one because i don't i also think it's kind of boring i think the bond summons are really cool i really like the bond summons but overall it kind of feels like it's like well, we just have to have a fight because you have to. Like, it feels like you just kind of have to. Man, that's mm. just not the kind of note I wanted to end on. That's like, fair. at the very least, the show has so many cool actions. Well, here, pieces. real quick, what was what was the absolute highlight? Oh, can I can I mention one more thing about leech fights? Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready? We Cassie and I have talked about this. Are you ready to get your mind fucking blown? No, but go ahead. The entire podcast itself has a leech fight. In the form of Here There Be Goblins. Yep, that is the leech fight of the campaign. I mean, it is in the beginning, and it it's was in the kind beginning. of pointless. It drags on. It doesn't serve much of a purpose. Here There Be I Goblins mean, is the leech fight of Taz Balance. Yeah, arguably, you could say that if... Th- the only purpose they really served was getting them into the was like saving Gundren, and then after that, really Gundren just kind of like went off on his own and would have burned the town down anyway because he, or well, I guess they did interfere because they let the orc boy go. So yeah, there were it's, a couple like, definite moments, but it's it's like the the main purpose of here there be goblins was to get was to introduce to the rest of the plot. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I um, think leech fight is definitely a term we can use when discussing other stuff like TTRPGs. Uh-huh. Like, oh man, that was such a leech fight. It didn't do anything. Like <laughs> Yeah. Which Ooh, I definitely I, hi- I don't know. I want to highlight that's why Pedals in the Metal is so good for me, is because it uses D combat in a non-leech fight way. Yeah. Yeah. It's- I love the all like just jumping around and they're like doing wild stuff. Like I, I honestly, if I was planning that, I'd be having like a mental breakdown. Like, how do I get this to work? How does this work? Right. What if they like take it off or like the thing falls back and they're just gone? Right. Gosh, it's but yeah, leech fights. That's that's the takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so quickly, I, I let's that end we all on a know positive why note. we call it a leech fight and not a tardigrade fight or a gerblin fight. Leech fight rolls off the tongue better. That, and I also think that the leech fight is the most um, egregious of them all because it lasts across yeah. two different episodes. Yeah. Either way, okay. so you wanted to end on a note of what what was our high point for the series? Yeah, like what was your favorite like moment, big or small? Um, there's a lot to pick from. There and really are. I think, I think the moment I always go back to that, because a big thing of the Adventure Zone Balance campaign for me is I have a hard time feeling emotions well because of dissociation issues. And so, mm-hmm. but I'm so connected to this story that sad scenes from it can make me cry really easily. And I, I like crying and I like being able to cry at things. So that being said, mm-hmm. the whole taco who scene 
in at the end of the stolen century when he's like uh he and barry are trying to like figure out where loop is and like barry's like what if she's gone and and like justin chooses to just say who right that is yeah oh my god that is justin is so fucking good at improv it's amazing yeah i love so many of the justin like taco moments and i i love what he did in amnesty too like Wow, I am so excited, Cassie, for you to listen to Amnesty because you're going to just geek out over it so much is my bet. <laughs> It'd be wild if you liked Amnesty more than Balance. But I guess if you were disappointed by if you were disappointed by Balance's ending, maybe you will enjoy Amnesty more. I don't know. That's the thing is Monster of the Week specializes in a lot of the things that disappointed me about Balance. Right. So- but of course, the issue is that I I don't want to like single you out, but like most people are really really satisfied by balance, and I think in Amnesty, I think they're riding off that high of trying to do balance again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, there's a little bit of that going in, of like they're trying to overrealize their characters because they spent like three plus years getting their characters formed and so they're going into a new one and so they have a little bit of that but honestly with monster of the week it doesn't like overdo it too much yeah. and they like balance like i will it, say it regulates you can absolutely feel that energy the most in commitment because they mm-hmm. like they put a lot of effort into trying to make their characters feel as realized as taco magnus and merle did in commitment and it doesn't work unfortunately because otherwise like i don't like i think it would i think it was an interesting concept but uh i don't know they went with amnesty and i'm fine with that i like amnesty a lot (laughs) yeah i don't even remember dust if i'm being honest sorry travis (laughs) i remember if you will ever listen i remember (laughs) (laughs) i remember dust being really really good but i don't remember hardly any of the details yeah, it was like I think it was like a you gotta solve a murder in four hours kind of thing, and yeah. they were like doing I, a lot of legwork. You know what's you know what's funny? The thing I remember the most about Dust was not even directly related to Dust. It was how that system handled a character being a ghost, which is that um, at any given time you could pick two of these things, which is that like you could be seen, you could be touched or you could be heard and you could yeah it's really cool and you could only pick two of those at a time if you're a ghost because justin played a ghost that's cool yeah yeah i did not remember that up until you just describing it and i was like oh yeah that's like the only fucking detail i remember from dust uh what was yes cassie I've been what was your high point? thinking about it since you asked it, and like, I, I might have like three. The that's, I'm not sure which one. That's um, just say all three. So train stunt is the first yeah. one because of course it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I love the train stunt. It's just really cool. Now, when I when you say train stunt, do you mean the one where Magnus is floating off on a rope or the one where they 
like use the portal wand to rope, rope train stunt. Gotcha. Because those are both very, very good moments. The the rope one was just amazing. Like I can imagine it so vividly, just like getting like punched and like spinning away up into the air, and then just like using that gravity to like hurl yourself through. It it was so fucking hype. Um, and then, uh, I think I'm gonna save the like most surprising one for last. Um. Uh, like of course I gotta take like arms outstretched followed by the following battle was really good like there was just a lot of like Mm. stuff going on and constant like frenetic creative energy yeah that one was super exciting that I like just frenetic creative energy is my thing um and then are you are you can you can you guess what the what the final one is um no, I have no idea. Was it uh, hear, hearing Griffin McElroy say the words that Luke is in fact transgender? No, it is um, in the in one of the lunar interludes when uh, <laughs> just the whole scene with Merle and his kids is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Did, by amazing. the way, did you I get? Did you get what I meant when I said that, like, Mookie really reminds me of Clarence in a way? Like, kind of? Vaguely? <laughs> like, I don't know, especially, like, in the very last epilogue where he's like, oh, they got an air hockey table! <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like, kind of a Clarence thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will mention, I do have some runner-ups, which is namely, like, I'm gonna say any of the, like, Okay, actually, you know what's one of my absolute favorite scenes is yeah. the end of the Stolen Century when he, like, after all the memory scenes, when he's talking about Lucretia and what happened after all this, and then it, like, the the monologue continues into what is happening in the present moment, and specifically the way that Griffin describes, like, um, I'm gonna pull up the quote here, uh, yeah, where it's like the way, because I've already talked about how much I love Lucretia, like the joy that she feels and the way she has to hide it. And I think about that a lot. The way that he describes like uh, now everything's back to the present and that like she fought back a smile that you came to treasure during your 100 year journey, a radiant smile full of joy and relief. It's the same smile you just saw moments ago when Magnus burst into the dome alive again, a mannequin no longer. Her friends were here again in her hour of greatest need, but that smile's gone now. And like the whole, this is it. I fucking love that scene. It gives me chills every time. It was pretty nice. And just, ah, oh God, like something about just hearing like the way they fucking just treasure her fucking smile because of what it means to them. Like it, I love Lucretia Adventure Zone. Oh shit! You know Lucretia Adventure Zone might be a little bit Griffin too, because Griffin couldn't like share the camp, like future of the campaign. Oh shit! Yeah, you know he just kind of had to like make it and like hope that they trusted that he would do a good. Yeah, totally. Oh my god. Ooh, we're getting into some good stuff here. Yeah, so what's your high point? Uh, I'm going to go with another three. Um, just like as the starting off with a funny one, which is the monologue 
that Taco gives Angus where he's like, you yes. listen here, little man. God. When I, you that day comes, I will summon up every <laughs> single ounce of arcane strength I have left. And I will smite <laughs> you from this earth. And I, that was like such an intense monologue, but also just from like my own perspective and putting myself in that situation, I that must have taken so much like concentration and brain power to be able to come up with that monologue straight and off then, the dome and say it that's so intensely yeah and then the joke right after he's like that's from a that's from a play i'm working on he's like can i have tickets he's like why don't you conjure them magic man <laughs> <laughs> and then the other two are a little bit more serious the first one is right before the suffering game uh when magnus goes quote-unquote rogue because oh, he's so like, good. I have to find out what, what happened with Pringles, aka Robbie. Oh, yeah. And God, that is I loved so that. Good. That was such an intense moment because I doubt that Griffin had any anticipation that oh, yeah. any of them were going to do that investigation. And so he went in and then it was really like uncharted territory because it was like, what do I do with the bodies? We work for these people. And then like coming back, it was sort of like, I feel like it was almost a relief that he was in the mannequin body so they could if they had been questions about questioned about it they could have claimed that like Magnus went rogue or something yeah no I absolutely that was really swept under the rug yeah it yeah. kind of well to be fair right as soon as they got back from the suffering game it went straight into the stolen century I, I finale mean, yeah. like it mm-hmm. I don't think it's as much like I think it literally was just like they had bigger fish to fry. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then my third um, is a little bit of a sentimental thing because I just, I, I, I don't think I give off the aura or the vibe of a romantic, but honestly, most things that I seek out in media are, romance related and I love ones that like are very well founded or well done out and so I actually have one of the quotes from the stolen century tacked up on my board which is the quote from the uh, observatory our capacity for love increases with each person we cross paths with throughout our lives which each moment we spend with these people but too often we neglect that part of ourselves in favor of others And by the time we realize just how important it is, we find ourselves with fewer folks around to practice with. The seven of you have something that nobody else ever had. Time. All the time in the world. Time enough to grow indescribably close. Time enough to learn how to care for each other. How to allow yourselves to be cared for. And in the case of Barry and Loop, time enough to fall deeply and truly in love. But I really feel the like part where it's like, too often we neglect that part of ourselves in favor of others because I know way too many people who have fallen out of love because they were trying to spend time elsewhere or they just didn't have enough time like they worked a full-time job they had school they had so much going on and so they didn't have enough time to give to having a partner and I like am very much in the camp of I like having a partner. Um, Polly, I have two partners and I enjoy spending as much time as I can with them when I get the chance. Right. And I, it's, 
it's such a beautiful sentiment the idea of like like the specific concept of like your capacity for love increases with each person we cross paths with like that's such yeah. a good sentiment of it's it's not about like obviously uh spending a lot of time with one person is very good but it's like the idea of it's like love is more than just two people loving each other it is like it's about how many people it are in your life how many people you find you know yeah it's about the connections and to really tie it back it's about the bonds that you create yeah oh yeah <laughs> I that is a that's such a good note to end on, but I did think of a third scene as long as you guys did three. <laughs> yeah, what is right. it? which is namely um Merle asking John, Are you my friend? Oh yeah, that was Ooh, good. that was such a phenomenal and scene. I a, love all the a, Merle stuff there. Especially I think Merle is my favorite character. Merle's so good. He's so underappreciated. Like really? <laughs> Well, it's because a lot of people get really, really attached to Taco, obviously. And then a lot of people get really attached to the Magnus and Julia thing because everyone loves the love story. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't think enough people give attention to like just how good Merle is. He's just really good. He's really and, funny. <laughs> and like, I saw a comment on an animation of that scene where it's like, Merle was the perfect character to do parlay with John because no one else would have asked a question like that. Like, yeah, no one else would have given right. me a like that. I feel like I feel like shallow because all my favorite moments are like hype action or like uh funny Merle kids. Haha. I mean, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like the whole you know the story that like like it's like nucleus say what the like emotional nucleus of the story yeah like it's like that wasn't that didn't resonate for you the same way it resonated for me or sam apparently right and like yeah i mean we try at times like earlier in the show like when hurley and sloan turn into the chi yeah I god there's so many fucking like honestly the the last episode of stolen century where they're like getting their memories erased I there's five separate moments in that episode I cry at it's amazing yeah we each take different things from everything that we like take in creatively like even TTRPGs um stories and different things like i have a friend who i have never seen sad or depressed and uh at one point during a game that we were playing um they had a care they had a like side character that lived in their armor that they viewed as a father figure and they like loved and cared for and that armor took a like killing blow for them Mm. and like my friend had to leave the room because they were like so impacted by it they had to go and cry it out a little goodness so like it's really like what you take from everything everyone has different connections 
based off of who they are and what they experience and what they like to experience. So I think that really our discussion is a good representation of that, where some of us like to take things that are funnier. Some of us like to take parts that are sadder and some of us like to take parts that are maybe a bit more of the interconnectedness of just people. And I think that is a really good dynamic because if we were all the same, then this wouldn't be as interesting of a discussion. And it's like very true. It is like, that's a very good sentiment. And then honestly, Cassie, if I'm being honest, I feel like if you ever decide to re-listen to balance, you might be able to get more of an appreciation for that type of thing because you wouldn't, you would already know what's coming and you wouldn't like necessarily feel that same level of like, oh, that's not what I wanted because it's like, you already know what's coming. So it, it almost gives you more room to appreciate what is there, you know? I don't know if it's about like what I wanted. Like, I, I probably could use better phrasing there. Sure. Okay. But yeah, I, I don't know. know. I, I don't know. I think this is a good place to end the episode, especially considering, wow, this has been over two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we missed the upload up. day by like two days, and it'll probably take me a little bit to edit this. So I'll probably be up by like tomorrow. So I guess the extra hour is like a little bit of apology to the listeners for being so late. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah i had to i had to finish up the show i only had a couple episodes left but that's okay yeah i mean yeah yeah. well thank you very much for thank you very much for having me on your funny podcast yeah we'd love to have you again where we talk about serious things at the end (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no i would i would love to be on more episodes i have a lot of hyperfixations Yes, I would really like that one. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I just for like a little bit of housekeeping at the end. Um, I think we're gonna at least this is a good time to ask. But do you want to keep trying to upload for Mondays? Sure. Okay, so we're gonna try to keep the upload schedule for Mondays. This episode is just gonna be one that's a little bit late. Um, and I honestly have no idea what we're going to do for the topic next week. Because <laughs> I mm. feel like we should like do something that isn't directly TTRPG related for at least one episode. That is also where everyone's at. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like part of the spirit of this is following where we're at, but it would also be fun to explore other things. I, I'm in two minds. Because I also, yeah. I, I know personally, um, if you give me a topic to be like, let's talk about this, I'll it'll help me shift my fixation, you know? Yeah, I mean, I really always want to talk about video games as well, because I I play at least like an hour to like six hours of video games every day. <laughs> I talk, I've been playing The Binding of Isaac like every single day. I talk about it. Yeah, and I've been playing a lot of like MMORPGs, which I definitely want to talk about because I definitely had to like go through some skill progression in my own life to be able to play them to a level where I don't get sad or frustrated. Mm. I have I have thoughts on 
uh, spe- specific MMORPGs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I that may be a thing to discuss, especially because um, Cassie designs games. Yeah. Real cool games. Or hey, has hey. designed games. I don't hey, know how hey, active um, you're being. Go on to itch.io and buy Pyo right now. It's only, yeah, it's buy a game. Pyo, go on there. And... It's only a yeah, dollar. P-Y-O. Yeah. It's only one dollar. It's really yeah, good. Thank you, Lynn. Of course. Gotta, gotta yeah, chase that. If you want to <laughs> chase that contact us <laughs> and you don't know us personally, I have a email set up. It's at hypervarietyhour at gmail.com. You can send us emails. Be like, hey, what's up? I don't know. I've never emailed a podcast. I don't know how you go about it. <laughs> but I guess I may, maybe we could do like a shout out or something. I know I technically shout out my buddy Sasha as I'm doing again. <laughs> because um he is honestly a true g and uh fan of the podcast he's caught up on the episodes and he gives me really good feedback and it's and, like nice to hear it from a different perspective lynn is also a fan of the podcast it's true i listened to the first two episodes and i was like wow i want to talk about ttrpgs with these with these cool friends <laughs> now you're here wow to, what a success story. You can learn from me, kids. <laughs> <laughs> but pretty much just so we have an email set up. Um, I also set up a Twitter. Uh, I may set up other things. Uh, really, I'm pretty sure that anything we set up will be run by me or Cassie. And like, that's really something that you would have to be willing to do. I'm willing to run the Twitter. So I set up myself with the, like, our account. And so I will be running that and giving little updates. Um, That is, well, let me find the Twitter handle. Jeez, gotta, like, swipe through 15 different things. Uh, I'm trying to fill the space so it's not just dead air of me going, like, (laughs) through my phone. It's at hyper hour, or hour hyper. I guess is what it gave us. I put in something else, but it gave us our hyper. Oh. <laughs> and it shows up as hyper variety hour with the podcast logo. So check us out there. Um, oh, hey, we just got a follower. What a coincidence. <laughs> Bozers, Bozers. I wonder who it is. I do too. Well, hey, that means that. Based off of my vague instructions, people can find it. So if you're interested, go find it. I'll tweet updates on when the episodes are being edited, uploaded, or recorded, and if there's any delays. And uh, this is a good a place as any to wrap up the podcast. Uh, I've been Sam, one of your co-hosts. Um, I've been Cassie. I'm still going to be Cassie after this, but... Sam ceases to exist the second I leave this podcast. (laughs) Oh no! I've been Lynn. It's been a pleasure being on here. All right, and we'll see you next week, hopefully.